0: Heck yeah. All right. There we are. We're making it happen. <laughs> hey, I waited until after that part. Why did it all of a sudden? Uh, I don't know. Ah, uh, welcome to Talking Heads, everyone. episode 269. Nice. Your once week live show for latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. I'm Rhett. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, usually some Star Trek. All Super Chats are red right on the air, so long as they will not permanently demonetize my channel. We do drink alcohol on the show, and if you drink along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know in the chat, and we'll give some early show shout outs as we go along. Last but not least, if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat and the even more super secret after party, think about joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to my Discord server. You can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and join the awesome community that hangs out over there. Welcome to the show, Rhett. Welcome. Long time no see. It has been a couple of hours. Yes. (laughs) uh had lots of fun today installing some new network equipment uh for a video that will be out hopefully early next week uh but we are now on that new switch on that new networking equipment and uh oh oh my those lights are very bright look at us look at us yeah so that should be that should be a lot of fun uh let's see made an announcement on twitter today that uh we are switching <laughs> uh official beer providers so uh rainier will be the official beer of craft computing
1: moving forward as it uh, should be yeah are you gonna drink that live on the air uh
0: also <laughs> <laughs> i'll
1: drink one in solidarity it, it feels dirty to. touching it. it does it though i mean it's crisp <laughs> It's it's crisp and clean. It's clean
0: Rainier. (laughs) Is it some clean Rainier? Touch the Cascades. (laughs) It doesn't get cleaner
1: than Yakima Valley hops.
0: You know, I had a pub beer earlier. I don't know that I've ever stacked up like what I consider to be bottom tier craft, but still a good beer uh, against a Rainier. So you know what? What the hell? I've got it here. It's open, or it's not open. It will be open. It will be open. Uh yeah. I'll go ahead and drink a Rainier if you want to. Now drink we're a Rainier. talking. To solidify the
1: future of craft computing, <laughs> uh, he, he's going to make this
0: this change live on the air tonight. Uh, I'm going to drink a Rainier. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Rhett is cold. Rhett is always cold. Uh, my wife even commented that, uh, Rhett, you're always cold. Like, <laughs> today while we were working. We had to spend like an hour in the garage and Rhett came in dressed as an Eskimo. And, and uh, he walks in and goes, it's kind of brisk today. And my wife goes, well, you're always cold. I mean, I used to work outside
1: Uh year-round, and it's just like, I don't need to be uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) True. Yeah. I'm going to dress up, wear a hat, get some long underwear on. I'm going to stay toasty so I can do my job
0: without worrying about how miserable I am. Meanwhile, I had a t-shirt and I mean, I will say it was 40-ish degrees in the garage today. It was chilly it was cold it was chilly
1: you don't have to put on this big tough guy face about it jeff it's just that no
0: one's gonna know i'm just saying it was chilly and that's about all i'll say (laughs) all right you Uh, know what though i eat pickles (laughs) yeah anything else you want to put on the twitter timeline while you have access to it (laughs) Michael's drinking a Sonder Brewing Nocturnal Dark Lager, 5.6%, 3.83 on untapped. William's got a pint of Brewery Bahava Shade Black Lager. Lots of dark lagers going around today, 5.4%. Boosted, Boosted Channel says, I love your videos, keep going. I plan on it. Uh, Don't really have a fallback plan at this point. (laughs) Uh... Dan Mayus says, no longer have work-from-home privileges. Oh, that's lame. Work-from-home is the absolute best. Uh, Remy's sipping on a newish drink. Peach Crown, Peach Vodka, Peach Allies Wild Strawberry Energy Drink. So, got some Peach Crown and Peach Vodka mixed with a Peach and Wild Strawberry. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Let's see... Skull's drinking one of the last IPAs from My Secret Santa, Angry Chair Brewing Spacegrass IPA. I've not heard of that one. Uh, Let's see, Sean's got a New Belgium Voodoo Ranger Hop Raider IPA, weighing it at 8.1. That is a fantastic beer. Pub Beer looks like a generic beer from the 70s. Actually, Pub Beer looks like a generic beer from any 90s sitcom, like, you couldn't have a can of Budweiser, and so if you drank a beer, you would open beer that tastes like beer. This is what a beer looks like. And you'd pour, like, apple juice out. Uh, Well, you know, though, in the 70s, they
1: had beer. Beer beer. Right. And it was just the plain white label. That's what they went for. Right. Well, it was a black label. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of dissimilarity here. I'm sorry. You have the gorgeous embossed red R with embossed i don't know i was trying to use a fancy adjective and (laughs) i didn't think you'd call me out out live you know i thought you keep the show flowing you
0: know (laughs) no no no, we're gonna stop there
1: (laughs) you got the uh beautiful foil uh relief of mount rainier in the back um yeah look at that that looks like a holographic pokemon card dude get out of (laughs) here There you are
0: with the ad words have meaning, Rhett.
1: What? Holographic Pokemon cards are a thing, aren't they?
0: Okay. It is open. Let's see, pour it on. Ooh, wow. Nice. There we go. Do I need to get one? I'm a man of my word. So yeah, if you want to get one, go ahead. I've already drank one today. <laughs> <laughs> That's never stopped you before.
1: I'd have to go all the way upstairs and then everyone's going to say something about how mine are only 12 ounces and you've got a you've got a tall boy. I do have here. a tall boy. All this right. This is a dangerous road you're going down here. You got three kids and you're about to start
0: drinking Rainier. Yeah, about to start drinking domestics. <laughs> I mean, well, it's not big 3. Like let's let's pump <laughs> the brakes. Yeah, Rainier is a league of its own. What what's next? A Widmer half? <laughs> i almost bought a widmer drop top for tonight's show widmer does make some pretty good stuff still uh their, I do, their drop top amber drop top is, is pretty like... good uh gosh what's that they're like nine percent ipa as well uh gosh you can buy it at like most convenience stores yeah they
1: have it at Roth's and stuff too yeah I think, like yeah i can't remember off the top of my head but
0: deadlift Oh, yeah, Deadlift IPA, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. solid, solid. All right. Uh, Let's see. We do have a good show for tonight, I think. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about NVIDIA's eye contact uh, because they feel you need more eye contact, prolonged Mm -hmm. eye contact, as uh, Bo Burnham would put it. Uh, Let's see. U.S. sues Google over anti-competitive, exclusionary, and unlawful ad tech monopoly uh enthusiasts bring back the ide connector for retro pcs and solid state drives that one's kind of an exciting one uh and speaking of ipas rogue ale is introducing a dead guy ipa which i personally cannot wait for so let's go ahead and get this show on the road Uh, i've already poured my rainier rhett do you need to pour something are you Uh, gonna join me
1: like, no not drinking tonight hope that's good no uh,
0: <laughs> of course I'm drinking tonight Jeff
1: it's Wednesday over here at craft Studios um no I I'm having a momentary crisis this seems to happen to me a lot in my new uh streaming space um I forgot a glass but <laughs> I opened up a uh from Deschutes brewing the obsidian stout it's uh clocks in at uh you know something healthy. Six point four percent. Yeah. Beautiful bottle art if it'll ever go in focus, which I don't think it will. There it goes. It's going,
0: it's go there. It goes. Look at that. I think it's set on slow focus, so it won't constantly hunt.
1: Yeah, probably a good idea anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a really good one. It's uh, apparently according to the bottle, it has notes of espresso and dark chocolate. And uh, Deschutes doesn't
0: make bad beer, nope. in my opinion. So no, Deschutes, for a lot of people in Oregon and West Coast in general, um, in fact, Deschutes does distribute nationally, but Deschutes is uh, one of those dangerous, will-get-you-into-craft-beer type breweries, where yeah. you see them everywhere and people go, oh, bring something craft. And they'll go, oh, here's like a a Black Butte Porter or their Obsidian yeah. Stout or Fresh Hop IPA or something like that. They are all very approachable, very good Uh yeah just solid all around beers
1: yeah my first craft beer like I guess that you could say like other than like a Widmer Hefeweizen right which was kind of the staple Ooh, for,
0: for us Northwesterners
1: right but other than the Widmer it Hefeweizen, is a gateway beer yeah well and my buddy was drinking it all the time and he's mm-hmm. like he's a tough guy he was one of these dudes it's like <laughs> he wanted to be obliterated with hops in his IPAs you know he that, that that's who he was he'd smoke a cigar and have the hoppiest beer he could get his hands on and he enjoyed hefeweizen and mm-hmm. i was thinking you know if this is like a measure of my masculinity then i it can't be disappointed and it's a great beer it is. but uh the first craft beer i had other than that was the deschutes mirror pond pale ale
0: not a bad choice
1: yeah yeah uh really
0: black Butte porter was up there for me that's one of the ones that really turned me on to dark beers um but uh yeah uh we are so spoiled around here oh dude
1: i know we were making the you know we're were making the post today about how we're changing up craft computing and it's time that we um you know become more inclusive with our logo branding and everything and (laughs) i was just thinking like man you know the pacific northwest it has everything it has delicious craft
0: beers it has rainier um (laughs) You're trying to get that foothold on like superiority, and it, but you keep bringing up Rainier. It's just not doing it for me.
1: I am so sorry, but if we're talking about American classic domestics, you can't you can't hold a class you can't hold a candle to Rainier. Okay. I'm sorry, you've got cores Okay, just whatever. Let we're me
0: done. let let me preface this. Uh, so this week, uh, I went. You know, I'm tired of not having like beer that I can drink around the house, like most of my beers are like 9% and up and that's not for me that's a meal that's that's not a uh, you know i just feel like having a beer at 3 in the afternoon that's a, like it's a commitment at that point um Especially
1: when there's work that needs to get done there's work
0: that needs to get done like the last <laughs> thing i want to do is drink an 11%er at noon because nothing's ever going to get done but sometimes you just feel like a beer and i'm like you know what i'm going to get i'm going to get something to have around the house and so I was at my local grocery store and I was specifically looking for pub beer and uh, they had an 18 pack for $18. I went sweet dollar a can. That's a pretty solid deal. Two spots away was an 18 pack of Rainier for the exact same price. Now I ask you, Rhett, which one would you rather have? Would you rather have pub beer? or would yeah. you have Rainier
1: I'll say this I'll preface this the, the answer sh- is going to be obvious to everyone but um I will say that I think that these big craft distillers um marketing tactic with their drinkable beers is the same thing that Uber did to break into markets all around the world where they come in with this new product that's underpriced, undercutting all the competition. And they say, look, we have the drinkable beer. We have red can, which is Ninkasi's. We have pub beer, which is 10 barrels. And Mm -hmm. I think there's like one more that I'm missing. That's like the drinkable, uh, you know, beer that you buy in a, in a full case or whatever. Well, if
0: you go with like founders all day IPA or something like that, you know, that, yeah, that's, that's another, another one example. that's readily available. Large quantities, yeah. low ABV. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, There and I, there's beers like that out there.
1: And obviously, I would pick a pub beer because I think that the pub beer is just better overall. Yeah. Um, But that being said, I don't actually think that the price is reflective of that. I do think that they have to price them at that to sell them uh, because they're competing with those domestic beers. Right that are i wouldn't say domestic beers are overpriced necessarily but um no. you know when you can get an 18 rack of pub beer for like 10.99 at the grocery store on sale you're gonna buy that right you know, like you, that that's what a freaking 12 pack of rainier costs on a good day and rainier doesn't need to go on sale to sh- to move units you right know? so and same with cores and all that but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah pub beer is undeniably good. So I will I'm say, gonna... this is my first Rainier ever. I've never had Rainier before. Um, <laughs> it's not bad. It's it's definitely not bad. Um, I, I mean, domestic lager. There's not a lot you can do with it. It's supposed to be crisp, clean. You know, everything. It's all of that. I will say the flavor of pub beer is a little bit better but there's nothing like wrong with this beer either like exactly so i i do like the pub beer lager as a little bit just a little bit bolder just a little bit more but still crisp and clean finish yeah not bad though it has and i
1: think pub beer has more grains too like it has more grainy taste which is nice in that you know in my opinion, it's nice. Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of Rainier is Jeff. Imagine it's 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 July, and you know you put up the new studio, and now you got to paint the outside. But it's a hundred degree day. It has to get done. I mean, you could knock back six of those Rainiers, and you know you're drinking a beer. Yep. Tastes like a beer. Goes down real easy. And after six of them, you can still get up and down a ladder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: On how long the afternoon is, but yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's go ahead and jump into the news. Starting with NVIDIA this week released a new beta for NVIDIA broadcast that, uh, honestly, I do see as useful for some situations, uh, but is also slightly uncanny valley area. Uh, yeah. where they will make you keep eye contact with your camera. Uh, and this is a very powerful bit of kit. Uh, I mean, we've seen what, what NVIDIA broadcast as far as RTX voice and background removal and whatnot. We've seen those as very powerful, very user-friendly tools that do a fantastic job at increasing broadcast quality for content creators. Um, however, this one is, its it it crosses that uncanny valley and gets a little bit creepy because I think if this is overused, there's something about the broadcaster just locking eyes with you, and no matter where their eyes go, they're just locked dead on with you. <laughs> I think that can get a little bit weird uh, I don't necessarily want to watch a streamer where constantly they're doing this and staring directly at the camera and <laughs> and playing a game over and but never breaking eye contact yeah. um however there are circumstances where I think I'm going to start using this particularly when I do tutorials. Because that's what I was thinking too. Um, tutorials are one of the hardest things that I have to shoot because I I don't have a teleprompter that can go over my monitor and and behind the camera that's that's right up here. Now I know they make small teleprompters for that, but the problem is my tutorials are so lengthy and so wordy that getting a teleprompter to move at the proper speed is an absolute pain in the ass. It, it, it is stretching on being impossible, especially with when I'm doing like a networking tutorial or or doing a, a Proxmox tutorial or PCI Express pass-through or whatever it, it happens to be. Those are things that have to be read exactly. Like Like there's an exacting language that you have to use for those type of instructions. You can't really just wing it. And, and so usually I'm trying to string words together in the exact proper order that I think would make the most sense. And, uh, which means I have to read down here, memorize two lines. And then if I'm trying to like talk to the audience and explain something, I want to look up at the camera and explain those two sentences and then go back down here and then memorize the next one and then come back up here. And it doesn't, It doesn't work (laughs) it is well, it it works, but it's, it's way more work than I have to put into producing other videos where I can either read a teleprompter or it doesn't have to be that exact. If I'm doing an unboxing or just putting something together, those are much lower stakes
1: (laughs) for sure. Yeah. I was definitely even thinking of like, uh, the age of video interviews. You know for a job it's like just imagine being able to have your script right in front of you and you could just uh rtx eyes on and, yeah and sit there and like read your script or like read whatever you need to read you know i don't know i i i thought the whole idea was a little bit silly and and, and kind of taking um a lot of this technology to a place i don't think it needs to go i personally don't need eye contact um when i'm streaming or watching any of this stuff because that's just not what the medium has been it's not right a news broadcaster sitting behind a desk reading the sports scores like Mm. this is its own thing i mean if you guys are watching this i hardly ever look directly at the camera because i'm I'm looking down at Jeff, right? You know, and, and I'm looking at the chat. I'm doing all this,
0: and and I think the reason this show works is I've always imagined this show to be more of a radio broadcast, more of like talk yeah. radio. Which I'm, I was always a fan of talk radio. You know, I I, I listened to just sports and political talk radio all the time, uh, especially when I was driving. You know, an hour one way to work and and things like oh, yeah, that. Man. And so you can only listen to the same hot five. Uh, so many times because you're driving during rush hour and guess what? We're going to play the top five songs of, of the day. Yeah. I listen to them on the way to work. I don't need to listen to the exact same playlist in the same order on the way home. Uh, not they're that good. Some of them are bangers. I'm not going to lie, but they do get old after a while. Uh, but, uh, Rather, I'd listen to more often than not sports talk radio because at least I can hear something different. Or if it's basketball season or baseball season, at least I'm hearing something that's going oh, yeah, on man. that we can riff on. And I've always liked you can listen to Wheels,
1: uh, you know, pitch the uh, Blazers games. That was the days.
0: I miss Brian Wheeler. Ah, oh, yeah, man. man.
1: I know. It's the only sport I'd listen to on the radio, and it was because of him.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know everyone thinks that they're spoiled in their local regions for their sports broadcasters, but my god. Uh we've got we had, at one point in time we had Brian Wheeler, Jerry Allen, and uh who calls the the Beaver Games? Um don't look at me, I don't know. Oh gosh, this is gonna drive me I I know it. I know it, it's right there. Uh but yeah, You're not talk- they are all phenomenal radio broadcasters play-by-play broadcasters uh and uh brian wheeler i think was the absolute best
1: oh dude yeah hands down but you know everything about the pacific northwest is better than everyone Mm -hmm. so um don't take it personally guys you know
0: what are you gonna do yeah uh but yeah, so I've, I've always thought of this more as a, a radio broadcast where you're watching two people who are talking together about subjects, not necessarily me having a conversation with the audience. That's, right. that's my normal video. This is me having a, a conversation and then having an audience to it. And they're very different things. So I may not need eye contact all the time.
1: Amen. So... Well, you guys can RTX eyes on in the future.
0: Ah, if you lived the first like 30 years of your life without ray tracing, number one, was it really living? But now we can also RTX your eyes. So your eyes always point to where they need to be.
1: Yes, exactly. What a time to be alive. No more wondering if I have fallen asleep during class. See, that's what they need. They need this for real life. Right. You can just do one of these and, like, you put your eyes are open the
0: whole time. Well, unfortunately, like Apple has uh, has grossly delayed their, uh, their augmented reality headset, which would have been really cool to have, like, eye pass through. And so, like, you could see a person's eyes while the person is looking at a screen through the... And, like superimpose eyes on top of the glasses like who knows that would be really neat so of course i'm paying attention to you anyway uh let's see solid snake may have been on to something decades decades before uh it was cool Uh, U.S. Marines have defeated DARPA's robot by hiding Marines under a cardboard box. This is not clickbait. This is a real (laughs) test that actually happened with U.S. military budget. Uh, (laughs) uh, Former Pentagon policy analyst and Army veteran uh, Paul Paul Scherer uh, is gearing up to release a new book called Four Battlegrounds, and in the book he details a uh, a training exercise and a, a test of DARPA's robotics that kind of didn't go as expected if you're DARPA. Now, for those who don't know, DARPA is uh, uh, a...
1: Department of Advanced Research... Right, advanced something. Robotics. Yeah. 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 Um... And if you played Metal Gear Solid, not only did you learn about the cardboard box trick, but you probably learned a lot about DARPA because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the the people you're supposed to rescue in the original uh, PlayStation One game was the uh, like DARPA chief of operations or whatever. Right. He's the first one to be killed by the Fox die, uh, you know, vaccine that causes heart attacks. Um, but it wasn't actually him. It was the guy who could shapeshift to look like people. Um, and then later on, you find his corpse in prison. After you, anyway, play the game. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, so they set out on an exercise to test DARPA's abilities to detect threats and and troops and and things like that. Uh, so eight marines all successfully, so 8 and oh, uh all successfully managed to move across an open battlefield and touch the robot without being detected by putting a cardboard box over themselves and literally just walking towards it. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it's one of those things that it seems... Absurd, if you think about it from a humanitarian standpoint, if you think about it from a, like... If I was a guard, and there's a cardboard box walking towards me, I think I can figure that one out. Um But... It's a robot in a box! <laughs> but, if you're a robot, and, and there's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, if you've been trained to look specifically for humanoid figures... That ain't you no know, human I've ever seen. Why would I be worried? Some like, <laughs> like Coyote perfect, stuff. Perfect yeah. machine sense. <laughs> uh, DARPA brought us the internet and Al Gore. Perfect. <laughs>
1: Oh, so. We do have a, a super chat, by the way. Oh yes. Oh, we got two super chats. Don't miss Kren. Oh, how
0: did I miss Kren? Like I, I, I saw the other one roll through. He was right before we started the news. So gotcha, gotcha. Uh, anyway, Kren five Aussie bucks. Uh, Rhett, if you want to take that one, he says, "Good eye, mates." <laughs> Thanks to the CC
1: community, my computer has ditched the green and now all team red. Uh, for 200 Aussie bucks for an X mining RX 6600 XT was a fantastic buy. Eh? I'm getting better, huh, Kren? <laughs> no, you've been watching Bluey. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Bingo, you're being cheeky.
0: <laughs> all right, it's a bush bushwee then. <laughs> Bluey. Still my favorite line in all of Bluey. It's, they uh, talk about Bushwees all the time. I know. But specifically when they're getting takeout or takeaway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of my
1: favorite episodes. That, that episode totally is, is pure madness. <laughs> There's a couple of them that are like that. Yeah. Uh, but that, Mom gets one when they're trying to get out the door. Mm-hmm. And the kids just want to play. And they need to get ready and brush their teeth. And she's just trying to get out the door. And she just, like, loses her mind.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but no, my favorite is just dad trying to get dinner. And uh, <laughs> goes to takeaway. And what whatnot, and uh, i need to use the bathroom can you hold it till we get home no i can't make it that long and he, so he runs into the store is there a bathroom we can use oh no sorry mate there's none here all right it's a bush we then <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then blues are like dad
0: can i drink the water absolutely
1: not but i'm really thirsty now <laughs> yeah, the water's getting
0: everywhere what if we can't turn it off <laughs> are you done yet not yet oh this is a long one <laughs> uh, Man, i love when so the
1: dad goes inside and they're like they're gonna pretend to eat they're like we shouldn't do that or whatever you know <laughs> and they're like it, it's gonna be spicy and she, bingo takes a bite and spits it out and knocks the whole thing over ah! <laughs> it's spicy <laughs> just like dude <laughs> too real anyway too real i know i know that's the most painful part
0: <laughs> <laughs> michael sends over 20 aussie bucks uh making in those uh those aussie dollars this evening it seems uh thank you very much uh dead man's fingers coffee rum in iced break ice coffee uh yes happy australia day dead man finger coffee rum in ice break ice coffee does sound good uh let's see. Uh oh, and Rhett, you've got another five dollar Aussie chat. Oh yeah. Thanks, Crin. We got a
1: a bonus for for I can't do it. I don't know. Good eye, mate. He's a bonus for it.
0: There you and go. There, there we go.
1: go mate Good eye, mate. I always gotta start with the good eye. Good eye, mate. It's not a knife. This, this, is, a this knife. is a
0: knife. <laughs> Good times, good times.
1: So stupid.
0: Uh. All right. Uh, let's see, moving on. Yeah, we can do one more before our sponsor spot. Uh, U.S. Department of Justice has filed a lawsuit against Google over alleged antitrust issues. A uh, quote from TechCrunch claiming the search giant has monopoly control of the digital advertisement market. Uh Uh, the DOJ is joined by eight states in the complaint, including New York, California, and Colorado. I'm not sure why they wouldn't just name the other five, but apparently those are the big ones. Uh, together they aim to, quote, halt Google's anti-competitive scheme, unwind Google's monopolistic grip on the market, and restore competition to digital advertising. Uh, this all stems from Google being essentially the ad daddy online. Uh... Every single advertisement that's delivered to you, well, probably ninety-five percent of it, is delivered by Google Ad servers. Uh, every banner ad, every pop-up ad, every pre-roll on YouTube, every—obviously, uh, but literally everything is delivered by by Google. Uh, I mean, can
1: you even name another like
0: online ad? Amazon server? and Bing both have ad platforms. Do they,
1: really? they do. I would
0: have had no they idea. They do. Yes, oh yes, they do. Um but and, and then there's there's a couple others. Uh I used to know a good chunk of them because I I would do DNS filter records for them and, and eliminate them from networks. Um but uh <laughs> of course. But yeah, I mean like literally 95% of ads are served up by Google ad servers these days. And it's not necessarily because Google is the absolute best. Uh, It's just because they've squeezed everyone else out of the market and coupled with the use of Android phones and and Google Play Store ad delivery and things like that on top of internet advertising, which again, Google has a pretty solid monopoly in, they've just managed to squeeze everyone else out of it. Uh, DoubleClick was purchased back in 2008 And was one of the first major steps forward for Google acquiring pretty much the lion's share of internet advertising. Uh, And uh, uh, Justice Department quotes... Uh, one industry behemoth, Google, has corrupted legitimate competition in the ad tech industry by engaging in systematic campaign to seize control of a wide swath of high tech tools used by publishers, advertisers, and brokers to facilitate digital advertising. Having so have an in yeah. Having inserted itself into all aspects of the digital advertising marketplace, Google has used anti-competitive, exclusionary, and unlawful means to eliminate or severely diminish any threat to its dominance over digital advertising technologies. And again, it's because Google has a footprint in nearly every space of the tech sector. They've pretty much just laid claim to if you want to run ads within the tech sector, you have to go through Google whether it's Gmail, whether it's Play Store delivered to Android, whether it's just basic web browsing, all ads run through Google. I was pretty happy,
1: you know, last week in the studio, uh, me and Jeff were looking at the sort of like profiles that Google ads has collected on us. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty happy because like the only thing that it had on me was it knew that I worked in tech and my age and like that was it it didn't like really know right like my marital status funny, or my what's, homeownership. what's really funny
0: you didn't have a tax return as working in tech yet
1: yeah it that's learned true.
0: that you worked in tech simply because your google habits <laughs> changed
1: well and it's possible too that like all my, you know my time in the podcast uh for mm-hmm. game Devs quest might have influenced some of that, that could um be. It's hard to say, but, yeah, definitely, like, definitely my Google search habits probably play a big part in that. Because otherwise, I don't know. I've never talked about work, really, online anywhere, or done anything like that. So,
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not your LinkedIn, for crying out loud. Right. So.
1: Yeah. Well, is that a sore spot for you, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just... I mean, I see see everybody on LTTs on LinkedIn.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just an observation. Just an observation.
1: Uh... I thought about adding it the other day when I was on LinkedIn looking up other people. I was like,
0: I wonder if I should change this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Google has responded to the statement from the Department of Justice saying that the DOJ is doubling down on a flawed argument that would slow innovation that Google, being the, the dominant party, would slow innovation, raise advertising fees, and make it harder for thousands of small businesses and publishers to grow. It referred to what is described at, in a similar case and dismissed, but the Jabe <laughs> But the DOJ... Good Lord. <laughs> Department of Justice <laughs> lawyers. uh, Yeah. So, oh, Facebook also delivers ads. Meta their entire business oh, model yeah, is based on that delivery, but yeah. within their own sphere. Right. Um but uh yeah. So Google is going on the well, we haven't raised prices or slowed innovation because we're always figuring out new ways to deliver advertisements. It's just that we don't have any competition anymore. Uh which is always a great argument for an anti competitive <laughs> lawsuit i mean yeah
1: you know and it's like you know it's hard to blame google or whatever i mean not you can blame them but in the sense of like their weak arguments it's like they kind of have to make up one right (laughs) you know i mean it's sort of similar to how like microsoft their whole antitrust thing in the 90s it was like they're like well are we stifling innovation or whatever blah 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 it is like you literally are looking at all of the programs that other software developers are coming out with you're developing your own version Mm -hmm. making it free with windows therefore like ubiquitous in home and office professional settings uh and then when that company disappears (laughs) because they can't compete with the free thing microsoft windows gives away uh you then make it into a product that you sell and make money on right uh that's the origin of the entire microsoft office suite right i mean (laughs) somebody had their own version their own word processor and microsoft offered word with windows for free for a brief time yep um and yeah it feels like you know, you're keeping your hands clean. You didn't you didn't force any like crazy leveraged buyouts or anything like that. But you kind of <laughs> swung your meat around a little bit. You know? Right. I
0: mean, they didn't buy out Netscape, but they certainly <laughs> enabled yes. uh, APIs and, and integrations into Windows and Internet Explorer that made Netscape basically obsolete by 1999. Yeah. And that
1: was like, Netscape is actually the big focus of the uh, antitrust for Microsoft because of Internet Explorer and
0: all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because of Internet Explorer's tight integration with the operating system.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's funny is that actually Microsoft lost that case. Oh, yeah. They were found to have a monopoly, but then there was no enforcement or compliance uh, enforcement on that Mm -hmm. because the administration changed, uh, you know, uh, you know the 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 government administration, White House administration,
0: yep. changed, and there was no interest in pursuing it any further. Yep. <laughs> yep. Weird. Weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know it's not weird. Today's sponsor, Linode. Today's episode will have. Oh, I cannot talk tonight. Today's episode of Talking Heads is brought to you by Linode. Hosting your own servers always means you get to host all your own problems. <laughs> I don't think the problem is I can't talk. I think the problem is I can't read. Even the most skilled network engineers will tell you, you should decentralize your network. So why not host your services with Linode? If it runs on Linux, it'll run on Linode. That includes the software for most of the tutorials on my channel, like how to run your own ad blocking, recursive DNS servers, VPN gateways, your own cloud-based Plex servers, and more. They offer shared CPU plans for as little as $5 per month and can scale as high as your needs go. Whether it be virtualized hosting, dedicated enterprise GPUs, NBME block storage, and more. Even if you do host your own servers, you can use Linode to keep a backup off site. Because remember, RAID is not a backup. Linode is also expanding at light speed with 12 new global data centers planned before the end of 2023. Visit linode.com slash craft computing and get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account. Again, that's linode.com slash craft computing and a huge thanks Linode for sponsoring today's episode. Thanks Linode. Thanks Linode. You know who else should sponsor? Rainier. Dude, I've been after him for a while. I I tell you, here's a bet for you. Who can we get to send beer to the channel first? You go after Rainier and I'll go after 10 Barrel and we'll see who wins. Yeah,
1: I feel like 10 Barrel is far more likely to send us beer. I really do. I feel
0: they are too, but. Is this just like a gentleman's bet? I think it's just a gentleman's bet, and in, in the end, we get beer. So, <laughs> so I think we both win. Yeah. But who who can we get to stock our studio? Like, like what's our daily beer? Like, I'd take Rainier for sure. Wasn't but terrible. I'd also take Ten Barrel for sure. Right. <laughs> it's
1: a win win. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Guys, we need your help assault these people on social media yeah
0: don't let up (laughs) let tan barrel and or rainier know that they should sponsor craft computing like
1: say it is time there are these blokes in the pacific northwest who are proud uh um pacific northwesterners (laughs) they carry the the rain in their blood and the clouds in their minds. What?
0: I don't know. <laughs> you okay over there? I tried. <laughs> he gets all excited and then like strokes out. Sorry, Jeff. I tried again. <laughs> <laughs> you smell toast. <laughs> uh, anyway, I have finished my Rainier. Yeah,
1: I did see uh funky monk mentioned on the Discord that it was Burns Day today. It is
0: Burns Day, and traditionally you're supposed to drink some scotch. Do you have any scotch, Rhett? I'll be darned. Okay, Lagavulin 8. You know, I could be uh, persuaded to go grab my bottle of scotch.
1: Look, I'd share with
0: you. Well, no, no, I, I wouldn't want to take away from you. So tell you what, why don't you go ahead and open yours? i will go grab mine off the shelf and uh we'll have some scotch
1: now this is crazy like you know uh, i usually get the lagavulin uh 16 but i got the lagavulin 8 as a gift probably like last year i'm actually doing pretty good on this you know for a whole like year ago i think i got it for my birthday in 2021 anyway um what i love about the eight is that it's just, it's the same amount of smokiness as the 16, like it doesn't compromise in the smokiness, but it's a little sweeter. And, uh, so I think it's a little bit more drinkable in that regard. Um, I just, yeah, this stuff's so good. Give myself a little, a little bit there. Um, yeah, I don't even think the color is too much different. But to be fair, I've never had them side by side. So uh, here here it is.
0: Cheers to Burns Day. You know, Ooh, des- there you go. I decided to grab my uh, Glenfiddich 14. Uh, this is the same bottle. I've had this bottle two and a half years, more than two and a half years. Um, I bought this bottle when I turned in my, what ended up being a multi-multi-month notice that I was going to be quitting my job uh because i had worked at that organization for nearly 14 years so i wanted a whiskey that went into barrels the same year that i started <laughs> had a nice symmetry to it i like uh, that so picked the glenfiddich 14 for that exact reason because it was 14. <laughs> uh and there we go
1: so ooh, i like the color on that that's good yeah i was just saying the color I, I, I've never had the, the Lagavulin 8 or the uh, side-by-side with the Lagavulin 16, so I'm not uh-huh. quite sure about the color difference, but the uh, the smokiness and the intenseness there is the same, but you get a little bit more sweetness in the 8. It uh, balances out. It's a little bit more drinkable. Mm.
0: Ooh. That is such a good scotch.
1: Yeah, likewise. Yeah, this stuff's very good. Cheers, fellows. Drink one for me. I'm having ACL slash meniscus oh, surgery me. in the morning. 14 years straight of indoor soccer, and it finally tours. So sorry to Ooh. hear that, Michael Z. I'll I'll, uh, I'll cheers to you well, and your uh, health. Hopefully, you recover. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you recover well, that's what I <laughs> meant to say. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hope you don't
0: die. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Red. <Rhett. laughs> See, the problem is I got my headphones on. And normally I have like a little bit of monitoring, uh, but I was telling Jeff, the reason we were a little late tonight, something's going on with my interfaces and my laptop Mm -hmm. and none of my interfaces worked except for my zoom H eight. This is his sneaky
0: way to try to get a company laptop and I'm not falling for it.
1: Yeah. I just see you got that new ThinkPad, and I'm a little bit jealous. (laughs) I mean. I, I know I got the rose gold Samsung uh, Galaxy book. I mean, rose gold and everything, but... Right, right. I want something that looks like Matthew McConaughey can hack an Indian drone from the back of a pickup in a cornfield in the movie Interstellar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: I'm more about the uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio hacking the drone from uh, whatever Middle Eastern place he was in turkey the turkey that he was in in uh body of lies i
1: don't think i remember that movie to be honest
0: body of lies is a phenomenal movie uh because it kurt russell no not kurt russell ah it's so
1: good he remembers the actor it, yeah you talking about russell Crowe?
0: russell thank
1: you russell Crowe. i
0: don't know how i got kurt russell
1: I mean, Kurt Russell and Russell Crowe, like, I I mix know. them up all the time. They're so different. <laughs> They've led such different careers. Yeah, definitely but... not
0: Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> dude, I love yeah. Kurt Russell, though, dude. <laughs> yes. Snake Plissken? Yeah.
0: He was in a Christmas movie recently where he played Santa Claus. And uh, t- my daughter watches it religiously, like, once a month. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, I s-
1: seen that on netflix
0: yeah it, it's interesting <laughs> if you ever wanted to watch kurt russell sing and dance in a in a santa coat that's the that's the movie for
1: you dude for me it starts with the thing for kurt russell oh yeah but then you also have like um like escape from new york mm-hmm. which is really freaking good for that style of movie and it just keeps going i don't know i like him
0: mm-hmm yeah escape from new york is
1: oh tombstone good lord yeah tombstone um and uh also like
0: uh i I just watched the hateful eight i was the hateful eight was was the one i was gonna bring up next yeah yeah i i
1: personally like people knock on that movie but i love it i love that movie and he holds that whole movie down like his performance i don't know what it is i love it i love it all yeah but so like sam jackson too them just like going you know riffing off each other yeah, so good.
0: Uh, I want a laptop like Johnny Lee Miller hacking the Gibson in the phone booth in the movie Hackers. Absolutely, I would. Um, I did have an Apple laptop very similar to the one shown in Hackers in that movie. That is a... Uh, the one that he got that he hacked in there and then they spray painted, that was a uh, one that was never released, I believe, uh, in the transparent shell. Uh but uh, in the beginning of the movie he did have an Apple laptop and I had a similar model to that. Um mine had a trackpad instead of the uh, the trackball on it but I I've always wanted an Apple trackball laptop just cuz Johnny Lee Miller had one. <laughs> are, are you saying there's none on eBay or anything? Oh, there's some on eBay. It's just I'll never be able to buy one.
1: Oh, they're too expensive. They're
0: ungodly expensive. Like, so you, what, you spend, don't have any, you want to spend $1,500 for a pre G3 Macintosh? Like, there you go. I don't know, man. I feel like it's content. You got a budget, eh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, I'm trying to remember what the model of those laptops were. Anyway. I'm going to get off on a tangent here if I don't loop it back in. Uh, enthusiasts have brought IDE back from the dead. Uh, so, for those who don't know, uh, like half of LMG's staff who was born after 2000, good God. Um, in the PC industry, we didn't used to have SATA. SATA is... <laughs> was not a thing until around 2005 give or take. Uh, before then and even into the the early 2010s, uh even optical drives still ran on IDE. Uh, which is a 40 or 44 pin ribbon cable uh that runs on its own shared bus with uh, with the CPU. Or, or sorry ran off the chipset on a, on a controller on the chipset um and uh that was the standard for hooking up hard drives for 15 almost 20 years it, it was a long lived standard uh and actually scaled very well even late into the day uh where you could buy one and 2 terabyte yeah. ATA IDE hard drives and uh and still use them uh, back from when you had like eight megabyte hard drives like it was the yeah. same interface uh
1: i mean when i was learning to build pcs in in high school like my teacher was like you know he's like don't go sata you know newfangled just get the ide mm-hmm. uh, hard drives you know you're gonna be okay tried and true baby mm-hmm. <laughs> like,
0: okay um i actually did um, I've got a board out in the garage that is from 2005 that is still 100% IDE, and it makes it actually really difficult to use today because unless you get an IDE to say to converter, and even then those converters can be a little bit sketchy, um, it's, it's a difficult system to get up and running. Um, And that's pretty much what uh, the creator of this drive determined. Uh, So this was made by a guy who goes by DOSDUDE1. Respect for that name, by the way. Uh, And he built his own SSD and controller. Uh, It's based on an SM2236 controller from Silicon Micro or Silicon motion, excuse me, uh, and can hold up to four 512 gigabit NAND ICs on a BGA package. Uh, So essentially, he can build himself a 250 gigabyte IDE compliant uh, SSD with modern controllers and, and modern NAND flash chips. And he's open sourced the design you can download the design, you can print the PCBs, and then you can solder on your own BGA memory chips and, and uh silicon motion controller, and build yourself your own uh, IDE SSD for retro computing that will be pin compatible with hard drives of old and motherboards of old. Kind of a cool, cool little project. Um, one of the things that a lot of retro enthusiasts have settled on is using either SD or Compact Flash adapters, which are believe it or not also based on IDE standards. Uh there's no conversion chips or anything like that. They literally run on IDE standards, uh just in smaller form factors. Uh in fact, Compact Flash was also available in a micro drive configuration where they could actually make a spinning drive inside of a memory card. And in fact, I have, I think, a four gigabyte model somewhere. Uh, And there was also the lesser known standard of 1.8 inch hard drives, which debuted, or which was heavily featured in the original MacBook Air, Uh, was a 1.8 inch spinning drive based on IDE and Compact Flash pinouts. So, yeah, if you've ever wanted to make your own SSD, or if you have a need for an SSD in a retro computer, here's a new open source project that you should definitely be checking out. Pretty cool. Uh, John Jay, when's the video? Which video? The 100 the gig one video? Hopefully about. next week. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China was Kurt Russell's first movie <laughs> for him. Uh Googly Games says. It's a good one. Uh yeah, Tombstone is definitive. Uh Tombstone, Hateful Eight, those are probably my two favorite.
1: Yeah, Tombstone's like a top five Western for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. How's your scotch? delicious. It's uh It's 14 year, but it still manages to be very sweet. Um without being it's not syrupy or overly caramel e uh at all. And I like Glenfiddich because It is definitely more in the ilk of a Highland Scotch, but with a a thicker body and just this slight peatedness to it. Uh, Where, like, I don't dislike peated whiskeys and and Isla whiskeys, but they can be overdone and they can be very, very much like, that's all I taste. Like people who drink IPAs and go, all I taste is pine needles. Like. It, right. peated whiskeys can definitely do that um i like this because there's so many other flavors at play here um without being too peated but you still get a little bit of that peat moss smoke and it's yeah i think it's delicious well see and that's
1: all laggable and is. i swear i feel like it's probably the strongest one mm-hmm. in that sort of like aromatic department mm-hmm. but you know i don't know what do i know I don't really branch out that much with scotch like I do I will but like I kind of have the thing that I like and if i'm going to spend money i'm just going to spend it on the thing that I like I don't know why I take a chance. But yeah. Uh, telling y'all don't sleep on soldier highly underrated movie with Kurt Russell I don't think I remember that one. I don't think i've seen soldier i'll have to check that out i keep my eyes open
0: yep <laughs> I, I i
1: don't know if you recommended it twice but i did see it up in in chat before too so yeah uh
0: wasn't the one point inch drive in the old ipods as well yes it was in some of the later generation uh, ipods so the uh the 30 gig 60 gig and 120 gig were all 1.8 inch spinning discs as well uh with 1.8-inch spinning disk was kind of halfway between PCMCIA and compact Flash, as far as size goes. Um, but, uh, yeah. It's all pretty much the same thing, just different sizes of technology. Um, they were all the same standards, though. Uh, let's see. Mike sends over $5. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, do you expect to see a flood of S- Skylake servers with SR and Genoa... Uh, uh, so that's, uh, oh God, Silicon, no, Sapphire Rapids, excuse me, Sapphire Rapids and Genoa both hitting Enterprise in the coming months. I don't expect to see a flood. Um, I've already started seeing, uh, Skylake chips, uh, coming down in, in price, uh, and being available in much larger quantities than they used to be. Uh, so this is uh, first and even second generation Intel Scalable, uh, LGA 3647. Uh, so that would be your 4118s and your your 5224s and, and chips like that. Those are... The way Intel does their numbering is weird because the second digit in the number is the generation. And so 4118 is a first generation Four means silver, and then 18 means branch on the silver tree. Whereas five is gold, and six and eight are platinum. Uh, so a 6280, 6280 would be a platinum second generation scalable. Um, but I have been seeing, like I said, first and second generation. So that's Skylake and... Uh, it's not Ice Lake, it's... What was second gen? Shoot. Drawing a blank. Anyway, uh, yeah, I've I've been seeing first and second generation scalable hitting eBay in some quite significant quantities. And the CPU prices are dropping, but I'm not seeing the servers, the server hardware itself, coming to market yet. Uh, And I don't think that Sapphire Rapids simply being released is going to cause an influx either. Yeah. a lot of tech companies in general. If you look at the tech layout and economics of it all right now, there's a lot of layoffs happening in tech. And typically when there's layoffs happening in tech, sometimes data center rollouts get pushed out by a year. And so, yeah, people might be buying up some Sapphire Rapids SKUs, but they might also be buying half of a new data center instead of three new data centers. Uh, and simply expanding and not replacing. So, interesting to see. Cascade Lake, thank you. Yeah, Skylake, Cascade Lake, Ice Lake, Sapphire Rapids, 4th gen. There we go. Thank you. I For some reason, I couldn't think of Cascade Lake. Uh, but yeah, similar to 2020, when a lot of companies halted um, workstation, laptop, etc., uh, refreshes uh, because of the pandemic and, and everything else. Um, I'm, I'm kind of feeling that way for 2023, where it's going to be a little bit of a down year in tech, especially given the number of layoffs that we're seeing from Microsoft, Intel, Intel alone cutting their $700 million new fab facility in Hillsborough that was supposed to be built this year. Uh, there's uh Google just laid Google. off ten thousand. Yeah, Google laid off ten thousand. Twitter's down to what five hundred and fifty engineers from fourteen thousand employees earlier in the year. Uh yeah, it's it's a weird time. Spotify
1: is laying off six percent of their force. Yep.
0: Yeah, Microsoft and Apple are both cutting entire divisions. It's it's not a it's not a prosperous time in tech, even though in general, uh, the, econ- the economy is doing well enough, and unemployment is, is uh, near record lows, but...
1: It's it's prosperous enough in the C-suite, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It's prosperous enough if you're at the top. Why do you think all these grunts got to go, Jeff? Mm-hmm. There was one executive who didn't see his multi-million dollar bonus at Christmas, and he's irritated by it. Instead, it was... A few million dollars.
0: Meanwhile, Tim Cook takes a $50 million pay cut instead of slashing uh, uh, staffing at Apple. I'll I'll say respect to Tim Cook. Yeah.
1: If if an
0: employee is, is judged on nothing but the hours that they spend, which if you look at most companies, most companies will judge you by how long you sit in a chair. Uh... Then CEOs should absolutely be judged on gross profit, net profit, gross revenue, you know, in- increased revenue streams, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't hit your goals, you shouldn't make as much money as you originally thought. If if I only work yeah. 38 hours instead of 40, I only get paid for 38. At least used to. Uh but uh you know it's There's a weird
1: trap there though, then that's how you get things like stock buybacks and stuff because uh-huh. they can make it look like on paper that they've made a lot of money yeah. or that their stock is healthier than it really is. I mean, in principle, it's a really good idea because that is the goal that, and you have that one person whose sole responsibility is let's steer the ship towards profitability and mm-hmm. revenue. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of weird things in there, but I mean, if Tim Cook is cutting his pay, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it. Um, I guess there's at least, you know, one, extremely wealthy ceo who um knows that there's other things at play so (laughs) i don't know it's just crazy like you know you see all these people like you know one of the top stories you see when google let all these people go was like a, a 16 year senior dev who uh like found out in the middle of the night that he'd been laid off and he's like they have no loyalty and all this sort of stuff it's like they're going after all these people because they're at the top scale of their pay. You know, right. it's that <laughs> anecdotally, just anecdotally. I don't have anything but to back this up other than like people I'm talking to, and um, a lot of junior devs survived all these cuts because they're at the bottom of the pay scale. Yep, at least seemingly. You know, who knows? I mean, it's, there's so many layoffs. I'm sure it ran the whole gamut, but um, anyway. Yeah. All so these like people I said, will probably it, it, land It's on a feet. weird
0: time in tech, especially for large software companies. Uh, large hardware companies are also seeing a lot of squeezes uh, these days. Um, you, I mean, just look at Nvidia, Intel, AMD—you know, the big three in in consumer and enterprise spaces—slashing uh, uh, allocations from TSMC and cutting chip fab times and and everything else because they're not seeing companies buying hardware in the next 18 months and so that also kind of goes in line with i don't think we're going to be flooded with Skylake chips all of a sudden because i don't think anyone's going to be buying sapphire rapids in a large enough quantity to make that flush happen
1: so it's kind of interesting how it's all yeah it really is all interconnected but yep what a great time to be in tech, Jeff.
0: Yay! <laughs> Graphics cards are as expensive as they ever have been in human history, and uh, software is going nowhere but uh, circling the drain. Hey, watch me for more news next week. Yay! Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great time to be a, a commentator, journalist, etc., on an industry that is constantly making people pissed off. <laughs>
1: That's always the case. (laughs) I feel like, you know, I don't know. At least graphics cards haven't always been our foray, you know? Foray? I meant to say forte, but I think foray works too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll
0: I'll excuse it. Excuse Excuse me. uh, In some exciting hardware news, Western, Western Digital is looking to mix their backup tape and hard drive tech to create 100-plus terabyte media in a 3.5-inch form factor. Uh, they're looking at basically combining the best of both worlds into a familiar form factor. So taking the uh, uh, the internals of their, their tape drives and tape writers and allowing you to slot them into an existing storage server and literally create 100-plus terabyte per drive bay, or if you've got, I don't know, 12 drives in a 3U server, 1.2 petabyte tape backup servers for uh, fairly low cost. Um, I feel like tape has been making a resurgence it it often does and and it's one of those things that uh it always springs way out in front in capacity like mm-hmm. like when we were working with like 500 gigabyte and and crossing that 1 terabyte threshold for hard drives tapes were in the like oh yeah we can do 6.4 terabytes on a tape and it's like holy crap um and then they kind of went out of out of vogue for a while and and then it's like oh well now we can do like six and eight and even 10 and 12 terabytes if we inject the drives with helium to reduce the friction they're like yeah Yeah. we have 24 terabyte tapes now so (laughs) like it's always this cat and mouse where the the storage medium the actual like readily available storage medium so your hard drives and your ssds will start to catch up and then tape just punts the ball across the next field uh you know
1: my big question about that is, you know, because tape has, was sort of like the first storage medium of sort of like any kind, you know, that's yeah. why you even see like, I don't know, that's why you see like music being stored on tape and stuff like this too, or in the early days. Um, uh, like, what is it? Is it, is it the fact that tape was the first, that it kind of continually pushes those advancements like that? Or is it the medium itself? I... Like, is there something inherent about the medium that
0: tape was the first because it was easy to produce and the hardware needed to read and write it was fairly inexpensive compared to other media at the time, uh, and so if you look at things like how did audio used to be re- used to be recorded? Well, you can record directly to vinyl with special needles and, and get a recording medium out of that. But what is the precision required for that? And what kind of setup do you have to have? And, and is it repeatable? And how do you master a vinyl and all that kind of stuff versus the magnetic recording media of a tape? The heads are fairly easy to magnetize and demagnetize with electromagnets. And if all you're doing is reading what's essentially binary data or zeros and ones, then as long as you can do that at a repeatable interval and uh, run the tapes at a set speed and everything else, then you can predictably get zeros and ones into the right places. And so that's kind of where that came from is it's the the surgeons from audio quality into, hey, we can just do a string of zeros and ones and it'll work. Um, That technology has definitely gotten more advanced and it's also still vastly cheaper to produce than equivalent yeah. capacity hard drives. I mean, if you look at right now, uh, one of the examples they get is uh, LTO nine tapes uh, can be had for less than twenty dollars per, or sorry, four dollars per terabyte uh, versus hard drives, which can be as much as twenty dollars per terabyte right now. You can get an 18 terabyte drive, or 18 terabyte LT9 tape, uh, for somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 90 to
1: $120. Interesting.
0: Uh, versus an 18 terabyte hard drive will cost you well into the 350 and 400 for a brand new enterprise model. Um, and in fact, lto 9 tapes can also be compressed down to 45 terabytes with slower read and write speeds. Um, so kind of some, some crazy stuff. Uh,
1: uh, one more stupid question and I'm just gonna put it out there. Screw it. If everybody knows I'm an idiot, but are, like are floppy disks tape,
0: technically floppy disks are a magnetic media and, and yeah, it's the same. It's the same medium that's in a tape, but it's, it's in a pressed disc instead yeah. of linear. And so you read it in a circle, like a record, right.
1: Okay. Okay. But it's that the makes same sense.
0: storage technology.
1: Right.
0: Okay. You're you're still magnetizing and demagnetizing particles in a certain orientation to read zeros and ones off of it. But is that just like how
1: a hard drive is too? Like were original hard drives just hard like drives that?
0: are are a magnetic media, but they are they're a little they bit t- different in in the way that that they work. Um, I'm not an expert in in hard drives by any means, nor on magnetic media in general. Uh, but yes, hard drives are another form of magnetic media.
1: Yeah. But I guess there's actually something hard in there because, yeah, if you ever break them.
0: Uh, hard drives are a um, super magnetic collection of. Uh, good Lord. The platters on them. The platters are hard and they are magnetic on a much smaller scale. Where on, right. on the tape, you've only got so much magnetic material that you right. can encode on that. Whereas in a hard drive, if you magnetize a very specific area of the platter, it'll hold that magnetic data in a much smaller gotcha. location. And so gotcha. it, it's a much denser form of magnetic media. Right.
1: Well, guys, here on Craft Computing, we drink and we learn things. So... <laughs> That, that's a, a quote we have been
0: tossing around the office the last few days. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, how slow are these tapes? Tapes are very fast, but need to be read serially. Uh, they need to be read linearly it is or sequentially is actually the proper term for them. So your sequential speeds can actually get into the hundreds of megabytes per second. Uh, so very similar to like you know modern SATA disks in your three to six hundred megabyte per second range. Um, random speed is in the order of days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> because you have to scroll through the entire tape to find the line that you're looking for. Uh, and so, But that's why
1: it makes it so useful for like archiving and stuff, it, right? It is phenomenal store... for
0: archival because if you just need to back up all of the contents of a tape, you don't care where the files begin and end or or right. fragmentation right. or anything like that. You just want this string of zeros and ones to be reproducible on another set of media.
1: Right, it's kind of like the the epic home video uh, recording uh, tapes that we had at my house growing up where if I wanted to watch Star Wars, I had to fast forward past how to lose a guy in 10 days mm-hmm. and
0: the mummy or something. You know? <laughs> like yeah it's in there but you were recording on ssl mode as well because like (laughs) nine hours on a tape how cheap are you well they were nine hour tapes you know what i'm saying they were nine hour tapes at the slowest speed and lowest quality i don't know i don't just don't
1: remember i just remember one time i bought a tape it said six hours on it and i recorded all six hours of digimon episodes
0: uh people are talking about indexing tapes and things like that um you can't really index a tape. There are programs out there. There are recording methods out there and archival systems out there where you can basically give a tape a ta- table of contents at the beginning so you can see a file an end file structure in, like, the first 100 feet of a tape or something like that. And so it'll record all of your header data and you're able to see what files are on that tape. There's also software that will keep track of the tapes themselves uh, via serial numbers and will record all of the data that they write onto a particular tape. And so if you need to look up a particular file out of backup, and I've had to do this before, uh, you go pull tape from volume seven, week three, and, and you put that tape into your recovery drive and you either then tell the tape to recover that particular file, or you tell the tape to recover the entire tape onto media that you can write, and or read from, and then you can make whatever recoveries you need, and then take the tape out and put it back in archive. So...
1: There's something about this storage medium that just makes me warm and fuzzy, you know? Like, nostalgia for an age of computing that I didn't really live through. It's really quaint.
0: Yeah! uh, I I used uh, tape storage for for archival backup all the way through, I think, 2016, uh, before we finally went to... uh, We still had warm storage backup, and so we had uh, basically ran our storage in triplicate in production. We had a hot backup uh, at a disaster recovery site. And then we also had a cold backup through a uh, third-party provider. And so, and they had multiple backups of, of our backup as well. So um, yeah, how, how much does it cost to store like 30 terabytes of data? I don't know, but you need about 600 terabytes to do so. <laughs>
1: Uh, this is exciting i don't know it just makes me feel like the whole uh there's that whole era of like you know anime in the 80s and 90s it just has this vibe of tape storage
0: (laughs) you know you're not wrong
1: yeah you know um
0: go check out uh lgr clint over at lgr has a fantastic video where he got a hold of a 1970s reel to reel player and he hooked it up to a. Uh... No, I think I'm mixing up my videos, but uh, he did find a consumer tape backup system mm. that would write on either reel to reel or cassette tapes. And you could, like, back up your hard drive via cassette. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. I mean, obviously, back in the day, there were also, uh, you know, uh, Commodore and Atari you could read games from tape and then store those games in memory and then just play them. Yeah. Uh so that was a very common thing, you know, fast forward to 38 seconds and uh and then hit play and it'll read a header set of beeps on on the computer and then it'll load the whole string of tape into memory and then it'll start playing the game.
1: Yeah. And seeing that but used a load of thing game. like I had somebody on my podcast on Game Devs Quest once talk about downloading a program over like FM radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I'm just like, dude, we have left this behind. I mean, I know Wi Fi is technically radio, you know, mm-hmm. and all 5G, 4G, all is technically radio, but it's just like, I don't know, there's something about downloading a program off of FM radio that's just, that's punk. Somebody here says, too, Rhett wants a reel to reel. I actually have a reel to reel, and I actually have boxes of tape uh of like 1920s (laughs) through like 1960s like audio serial dramas and stuff nice um like dick tracy superman um like i don't actually know what to do with any of this stuff like i've listened to some of it but i've thought about like putting it up on reddit or finding a group of like hey if somebody wants these tapes i'm more interested in them being preserved than like rotting away in my basement or whatever i i had a mishap a few years ago where uh the boxes were exposed to a little bit of moisture and i don't think the tapes were affected but like all of the boxes that they are yeah were a little bit affected because and it's like all the tapes are in bags in their boxes so Mm -hmm. there's like multiple layers but good that freaked me out and i was like i don't want to be responsible for losing all this you know who knows what if that episode of superman or this dick tracy thing or whatever is like the only one of its kind left i can't be i can't have that on my conscience you know um which is so stupid. In the age of just like useless data, like creation, you know, um, I, I should be fine letting it go. But there's something about losing a audio recording from the 1920s. It just feels like
0: it hurts. Yep. Uh, let's see. You got a couple of comments here. Java says, uh, I know someone that would courier tapes and drives of whereas. That's the old uh, term for contraband uh you know piracy and and things like that it was whereas content uh got paid well for it we talked i think this was actually last week we brought this up uh one of steve's first jobs as an adult was pirating porn magazines for a pbs oh for
1: a bbs
0: bbs yeah bolton board service i i thought you
1: said pbs for pbs i was was like what (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, he would he would put all the Playboys up on uh on on PBS. Right. Yeah, you know, right after Nova you could watch. Uh this was reading Rainbow After Dark. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. LeVar Burton reading the articles in Playboy.
1: (laughs) I swear they have good literature in here. She really You know, they used to say like there's really good articles in here. You know, speaking of which, which is crazy, this, I'm not going to go off the rails for the rest of the night, I swear to God, but Ursula K. Le Guin, the famed fantasy and science fiction author herself, Mm -hmm. one of her first uh, fantasy stories of all time was published in a Playboy, uh, I think in the late 50s or early 60s. Um, And, uh, yeah, she said it was great, but I, I can't remember, she has a quote about it where it's like, she didn't consider the damage that it would do to like the movement in general of being like inclusive and all this sort of stuff. Right, but, right. But that they were also more open for than most other outlets at the time. I don't know something. To move. Yeah, there you go. Not taking this off the rails. The rest of the night go.
0: Uh, Java says, "Yep, it was for BBSs, and you had to know somebody to get access." Yeah, and that's that's how that used to work. Um, so. Uh, I read it for the articles, yeah. That's why I downloaded all the stuff that Steve uploaded. So. <laughs> uh, Rogue Ales here in Newport, Oregon, uh, famous for their Dead Guy Ale, is introducing a Dead Guy IPA. And I could not be more excited about this particular beer. Uh, I think Rhett is trying to get me to allow him to pour something else. Rhett? You no, 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 no.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I was trying to show my glass. Oh, your
0: rogue, rogue snifter. Okay.
1: Yeah, sorry. And it just doesn't there, focus oh, wait, hold, ever. Hold, so. hold,
0: there it is. There it is.
1: Boom. Yep. Yeah. Rogue ales Rogue and spirits. spirits. Yeah, so. Okay.
0: Anyways. Uh. So... One of Rogue's most known beers is the Rogue Dead Guy. It's the Dead Guy Ale. It's a malbock style air ale. Uh amber lager, fantastic multi and kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of this show, one of the main gateways into the drug that is craft beer Uh, it's one of the beers that gets people sucked in going oh there's something beyond lagers and pilsners made with like rice and corn uh and rogue is one of the best because rogue not only does their it's rogue ales and spirits is the actual name of of rogue and uh not only do they do their own beer, they also distill their own spirits and they own the farms on which all the crops are grown that go into yeah. their beers. And so it is one of the only, uh, beer spirit, etc. manufacturers that I can think of that literally has control of the product from beginning to end.
1: Yeah. I say this every time it comes up too, but, uh, one of my buddies is, was the the primary fieldman for all of their uh -hmm. hop fields in oregon he would go and inspect the hops and the soil take measurements do all this and say well you need this product to keep them healthy you need this product to keep them healthy and make sure that they were getting enough of everything that they needed to ensure that they were growing properly Mm -hmm. um, year to year and um which is kind of neat i got to do a, a a little tour of you know their their hop fields uh outside salem Mm -hmm. which was kind of fun but rogue is one of those two they hit they just like for whatever reason right like everybody in oregon knows rogue yeah everybody in the northwest knows rogue um but it's also the only brewery of oregon's and maybe even the united states in general that i have found their beer in every country that i've ever been in (laughs) like for whatever reason their marketing or their sort of, uh, their distributors are just so on it. Everywhere I've gone, yeah, I have been able to easily find Rogue.
0: Yeah. Uh, Larry asks, is Rogue regional or national? Oh, they are very national. They are in fact international. Um, you can find Rogue in a lot of corners of the world. Um, Rogue and Deschutes are the two Oregon breweries, uh, well, I guess, and Widmer. Those are probably the big three that I see outside yeah. of the state, um, but uh, I mean, there's there's tons of regional distribution of Oregon breweries and whatnot. But those are the three, the three big ones, and they're all gateways into craft beer uh, that you can buy just about anywhere in the country. Uh, I I was at this little Irish pub in. Who Knows Nowhere, Wisconsin. And uh, I found one rogue and three Deschutes on tap. (laughs) And trust me, after spending a week in Wisconsin, that was a breath of fresh air. Because it (laughs) it finally wasn't uh, Milwaukee's best Coors, Butter, Miller. Uh, Or the one craft beer that they have up there, which is apparently uh, Newglarus Spotted Cow. Um, so yeah, no, you, you can find rogue in a lot of different places. Check your local grocery stores and cap for their craft beer section. You'll likely find a rogue beer there. It's usually either the rogue dead guy or the rogue deadlift. Here's a rogue, uh,
1: section with a Japanese sign that was in a subway station in Tokyo.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> and, uh, yeah the other beers next to him I don't even I don't recognize they're all Japanese labels uh here's one Baird beer I don't know what that is Baird I'm gonna Google that just to see that and that's a Japanese beer too it looks like so so Rogue was the only one that and I saw that a bunch throughout Japan Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's just because like, I know Japan and like the Northwest have a lot of like shared yes. kind of cultural commonality, not cultural, but uh, there's a lot of shared in cultural interests there. So maybe yeah. that's something, but, um,
0: yep. You know. Anyway. Yeah. Rogue, uh, basically re, uh, rebrewing their dead guy ale as a dead guy IPA, more of a, a hoppy flavor and, I'm looking forward to it. Rogue. Should be exciting. Rogue distributes their main beers. their their big ones. They're uh, the Dead Guy Ale. There's uh, Deadlift IPA. There's their Double Chocolate Stout. And there's a couple others that make it pretty much nationally all the time. Uh, yeah. They have a number of beers that are only available here. There's Combat Wombat. There's their hop series of 6 hop, 7 hop, 8 hop, 10 hop, 12 hop ipas yeah. uh there is their cold brew ipas which is exactly what it sounds like that is a coffee infused and cold brewed ipa those Although are Jeff, phenomenal
1: the four hop ipa is the one i have in the Jap- is it? Japan picture yeah <laughs> nice yeah i just looked at because i was like oh wait oh and they have a seven hop here too yeah 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 that, that's crazy um so, anyway. So, the, the,
0: I, those beers tend to be a little bit more regional, um, but... Again, uh, it could
1: just be because of the extreme shared sort of cultural uh Definitely interests, right.
0: Yeah. It's um,
1: like Salem. Salem has like a Tokyo University student exchange mm-hmm. program. Yeah. And so, there's that big sort of influx of cultural interest there. And Salem itself is also like it's got pretty close ties with another uh, city in Japan a uh, part of like the sister city program right um i don't know there's there's stuff like that um also for some reason there's a lot of like japanese interest in mount hood because it's um such a prominent mountain peak there's something there about like mount uh, fuji yeah uh, yeah so i don't know i don't know that one exactly but i've heard that a lot yeah anyway but yeah, it's cool. Like Rogue, I, I don't know. I saw that uh, that I think national launch of that beer, the IPA, is supposed to take off on Friday the thirteenth uh, of February. February Friday the thirteenth. Um, but then John in Discord, Hobson Bruce said that it's already released and available in Oregon. Yes. So, so I'm gonna if go you're look for this. around. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you know, why not? Yeah. Uh, Dead Guy Ale is already really great. Dead Guy IPA? Sure. I'm I'm on on board. board.
0: Yep. Uh, Also, once a year, they release the Dead and Deader uh, IPA, or Dead and Deader Ale, which is the Dead Guy Ale aged in Dead Guy bourbon barrels. Uh, (laughs) And again, because they're a brewery and distillery and own the farm, they can produce a whiskey and then bottle the whiskey and then age their beer in whiskey barrels and then bottle the beer and then age whiskey back in those same barrels.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a
0: wonderful process.
1: Anybody who's interested too, I don't know if he's the same like head brew master or whatever for for Rogue, but Mm -hmm. uh, there was an episode of the Ologies podcast. I think it was Ologies, God, I hope it was, where they did like a gastrology or something like that Mm -hmm. episode about um, fermentation. And it was the brewmaster from Rogue. And Mm -hmm. he had a lot of really interesting, insightful things to talk about Mm -hmm. making beer. And I, don't, I learned a lot about yeast and wild yeast mm-hmm. and the way that a lot of these brewers, uh, you know, experiment with beer is really, like, you don't think about it as much, but it's really in the yeast. Yeah. Which when you look at the science of even like, sort of like microbiome sort of exploration, like yeast is one of those things that they can narrow down geographically very easily. Yeah um because it varies so much globally yeah it, that's
0: why with look a lot of your hop flavor definitely comes from or a lot of your beer flavor definitely comes from the main ingredients of beer which is hops barley malt uh but the two that don't get enough credit are water and <laughs> yeast And yeast is probably the one that's most often forgotten as a very critical component of the overall flavor of your beer. Because uh, you can brew the same exact recipe just with different yeasts and get vastly different beers.
1: Same thing with like with bread, though, too, you know, it's like. That's what's crazy, I, yeah. Yep. And these are the types of conversations I wish like John and Steve were here to to chime yeah. in on this because I'd love to like start diving into yeast right now it, for some it, reason. It's but... really
0: fun, especially with uh, with John. John John yeah. will go uber nerd with you when it comes to yeast. Oh, yeah. uh, not that Steve yeah. won't. But...
1: No, no, they both will. You know, <laughs> right. but uh, yeah. But there's something about uh, we we've talked a lot on the show about the importance of water to beer. beer. Yes. Yeah. But again, I when you, as soon as you said like one that's often overlooked, I personally forget about yeast all the time. I'm I am not sure why. I
0: honestly do too, and and it's really funny when uh, breweries mm. will identify yeast as one of the thing one of their main ingredients. Uh, the, they'll yeah. identify the strain of yeast that they're using yeah. or the regionalization or localization of that yeast. Right. Um, it gets super interesting. Um, there's uh, some beers that I've had before that. They went. Yeah, we brewed this one with champagne yeast, and yeah. and made some very very interesting beers.
1: So well, that was what Rogue did a few years ago, and I mm-hmm. think John, or maybe you and I talked about. It, I can't remember, but uh, they did the wild yeast mm-hmm. beers, and one of the ones that won that competition was one that they collected from a beard beards. of like a motorcycle yeah. rider, and he, they collected all this yeast from these beards and made a beer out of it. Yep. They called it. They called it beard. Or something, or I don't know, I can't remember, yeah, Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know, it's cool, man. There's like a whole like level of sort of like garage steampunk science in there that's Mm -hmm. kind of exciting and fun, yeah. I'm getting all warm
0: and fuzzy about this, the same way I was about tapes, (laughs) so don't (laughs) let me derail (laughs) us anymore. (laughs) Well, we've just got a couple more stories to hit on, uh. From uh, BreakingBourbon.com, they uh, have a press release from Mystic Farm and Distillery that Mystic Farm is announcing the first bourbon that has been aged in space. And I feel (laughs) like I need this one. Uh, Now, hear me out, okay? Um, I have the James T. Kirk... Bourbon Reserve, 12-year Bourbon Reserve. I also have the Ten Forward Vodka, that was a- the grain was aged in space. Uh, And then it returned to Earth, and then they made it into vodka. Um, I think I need to complete that Holy Trinity with a Bourbon that was aged in space.
1: Yeah, why not? But see, I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, are they taking whole barrels into space
0: and aging it? How are they doing this? Like, um,
1: They or, successfully
0: are, build vessels to send five barrels of 45% wheat bourbon whiskey to low Earth orbit for one year for an additional aging. So this isn't just like touch the cosmos and down via a weather balloon. This is like, we're going to circle for a while. Uh and how are they going to safely land this? I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm assuming they have some kind of parachute craft system. Look, if SpaceX can land a rocket on its yeah, feet, I get it. I think we can get five barrels successfully down in an egg drop competition.
1: So how much? So how much for a bottle of this? Stuff? Uh,
0: I don't know that I want to know. Only one. Uh, Only about 1,300 people on the planet will ever have the opportunity to taste and own this piece of whiskey history. Most bottles will be pre-sold for $75,000 purchase deposit. Right, so
1: they're crowdfunding the aging in space, basically. Right.
0: Each purchaser will receive a non-fungible token. Oh, good God.
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: Uh, to prove authenticity Who put the story of, in here? <laughs> uh, and the right to ownership, and the purchase deposits will be held in an FDIC-insured bank account until the bourbon returns to Earth for bottling. Oh, interesting. Mystic is planning oh. to provide the bottles for pickup at the distillery. Remaining bottles will be sold at the market price for pre-orders that are fulfilled. <laughs> oh, God
1: interesting so i was going to say like we obviously Ooh, need this is cool
0: purchasers will also get a 50 milliliter sample of the bourbon so owners will not have to break the seal on their own bottle of mystic galactic to taste the rarest spirit in the solar system oh
1: you know pretty soon though there will be some day where just you live in space and yeah the bourbon you're going to drink is going to be aged in space
0: right Right.
1: I, I want to know what this does to the flavor because I don't think it does anything, <laughs> personally. But maybe I, I doubt
0: it does. Although environmental conditions, temperature, humidity, uh, that all wow. can make a, a large know, difference in the aging process. I uh, need to know what gravity pressure makes can a do. huge difference uh, as far as the. Uh, but these are going to be in pressurized. Space capsules, they'll, right? They'll be in, in some kind of a pressurized system, but that pressure is going to be different than it otherwise would be terrestrially. Um, how's your stoichiometry and absorption of your barrel to, to liquid? Yeah. Is is it higher or is it lower? Is it, uh, I need my whiskey brewed in a Scottish cave. <laughs> now, what I want, what I want, this would be cool. I need a system that would fly staves up to space and then open and expose them to the cosmos and then close. And then you either build a barrel out of those or you chip those up and then age a whiskey in them. Because then you could say that you had a beer that, or a whiskey that had actually been exposed to space, not just flew in a sealed capsule. I think that could be fun. Yeah. Lower gravity. Gravity also does have an impact on well that's
1: that's kind of what I, I was thinking. Definitely like I could imagine with beer brewing where you're having like fermentation and fermentation. Like that. Uh
0: the bubbles won't know which way is up. That could be an issue. That absolutely is an issue uh when it comes to liquids in suspension in space, uh that the gas really can't escape. And so do you does your volume fill and do the barrels eventually leak? Are they aging barrels? Are they just sending the whiskey up? Like Does fermentation continue to happen in the barrels? Uh fermentation typically I, no. thought, it was all, they, they have, I thought
1: it was all like all of like the pre-process and then right. the distillation is where you get your
0: alcohol. right. No, you you ferment to get your mash. You distill to get your spirit, and then you age to create to the, the spirit flavor. into what you want it to be. And so after the fermentation, you're done making more alcohol. Uh, okay. The yeast is dead. Nothing else is happening. Um, but the, that's how you're getting your color and right, your flavor and the, the, your profile. The distillation, you're creating the spirit. Uh, and so it you're... Extracting the ethanol fumes from the liquid right. itself and distilling it into a higher concentration of, of ethanol. Um
1: wait, 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 wait. You're collecting the fumes into the spirit?
0: When you distill. So let's let's take your 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 grain oh and everything goodness. else mash. Okay. Let's mash it all together and let it ferment and let it, you know, eat sugar and poop out alcohol. Yeah, of course. Now, okay. Now essentially you have beer. Okay. We made some boo. More wine. More yeah. wine. Okay. Right. Uh, you then take that and you heat it to between 160 and 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. Which like is leger. the boiling temperature of ethanol. You're not boiling the liquid, you're boiling the alcohol off of that, and then recondensing that down into a higher conde- in a higher concentration.
1: And that's all the like spiraly. That's tubes. what the
0: spirals are there for is to recondense the alcohol vapor into a liquid. Uh, that's how distillation works.
1: Dude, human beings figured this all out. <laughs> They're like, you know how human we can get beings super went drunk? through
0: this process to go, how can I get more <laughs> drunk? <laughs> like, you know how we can get more drunk?
1: Look, before we land anybody on the moon, we gotta figure out how to get more drunk right. first. And uh wow, impressive stuff.
0: This is like high concept chemistry here. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's really funny when, when people get into like liquids and everything, because they're like, oh, liquid just boils at 210 degrees. No, your alcohol boils before that. And even though it's mixed yeah. in a water, grain, etc., solution, the alcohol will still right. boil off before well, that's the like... rest of your liquid. So as long as your temperature isn't too high, you'll yeah. boil the alcohol. And as long as you collect that vapor and then recondense it, your, your condensate, uh, right. is
1: your spirit. Well, see, and that's why like my my grandpa's mold wine recipe calls for heating the wine at a certain temperature for hours and, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Right. All of the alcohol evaporates. And here's the part that you don't get living in the 21st century is that his recipe, you evaporate all the wine alcohol, then you add a bottle of brandy <laughs> to your cooked mold spice amalgamation. Right. And so then it's it's mold wine, all of the original alcohol is gone. Now you've introduced new alcohol to uh-huh. it and you drink it and it's tasty and delicious. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, the 21st century, and you're like, why would I add brandy to this? And yeah. then you drink it and nobody gets it. What's a really funny
0: is in the United States, in your home, it is perfectly legal to make alcohol in almost any way, but you cannot increase the concentration of alcohol through any form of distillation. Because you didn't pay taxes on it. Mm. Uh, So that's why moonshining exists. Moonshining is just people taking beer mash and creating moonshine with it. But Mm -hmm. because you didn't pay tax on, I guess, the vapor that you collected from the thing that you already made, it's illegal.
1: See, there's a famous prohibition.
0: The thing that we didn't overturn
1: there's a there's a famous bridge where I grew up and it's called the gallon house bridge and uh you can look up the history of this bridge online my family made it famous for their moonshining. <laughs> the reason it's called the gallon house bridge is because you'd go there to go and get your moonshine mm-hmm. <laughs> from my family so there you go enjoy that one
0: yay <laughs> Uh, Let's see, we've got a couple other small stories here before we finish. Uh, Buffalo Trace is celebrating its 8 millionth barrel of bourbon since Prohibition. Uh, And if you get onto Buffalo Trace's website, uh, you can win a $10,000 trip to Buffalo Trace's exclusive Stag Lodge. Uh, And I believe that also includes drinking from the 8 millionth barrel. So uh bourbon experience of a lifetime they say
1: i don't know it's just 8 million it's not even 10 million right
0: i mean it's a big number but it's
1: it could be big like i mean buffalo trace is great but i feel like celebrating your eight millionth is kind of
0: like boring i'm i'm gonna ruffle a lot of feathers here i think buffalo trace has a phenomenal name and a decent whiskey
1: It has a phenomenal legacy. It has a
0: phenomenal legacy. Um, but if I'm talking about like modern bourbons.
1: mm. Buffalo Trace is the Rainier of bourbon. It has a legacy. It has a thing. If you had a parent that drank bourbon, like a lot of times that was their preferred bourbon, right? The reason I drink Rainier is not because- They also were
0: far from not the first. Right. They just yeah. happen to be established a good long time. Yeah. Um where where you can look at distilleries like uh you know, Jim Beam and, and Jack Daniels sure. and Elijah Craig. Uh Elijah Craig claiming the oldest distillery in, in North America at what seventeen sixty-nine, something like that. Seventeen fifty-nine. Um, oh so he was
1: a british stooge then probably
0: <laughs> probably but uh but yeah no elijah craig claims that they are the oldest distillery uh in uh in the states um that claim is up to some contention <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong but <laughs> but then you have buffalo trace somewhere like 1850 and and it's like Yeah. You weren't the first. You just, you've been around a long time. Like I don't discredit you, but you weren't the first. You're not the best. Yeah. What do you want? A ribbon?
1: Yeah. At least they're not trying to ride on the laurels of some facetious blue ribbon that they won over a hundred years ago. Right. Right. (laughs) But, you know, I think there's something about that legacy. There's something fun about cheap, spirits, cheap beer that has survived the ages and Buffalo trace is one of those like, I definitely don't think it's this incredible bourbon or whatever, but it's nice to have on hand. I like to use uh white buffalo to do my own sort of like whiskey bootlegging. Mm-hmm. I've got some fun little uh, I think I talked about this before some fun little, you know, almost like pseudo chemistry kits, aging kits that uh, I got for Father's Day last year, where um you take vodka or unaged whiskey and you can combine Mm. some wood chips and other uh like aromatics to make like a fun pseudo whiskey yeah uh the same way that you would like actually like literally bootleg a whiskey it adds coloring it adds some flavor it's kind of fun to experiment with and and white buffalo has been a really good uh um has found some really good use in that way because it's better than better than vodka in my opinion yeah for that yeah um
0: yeah but vodka is filtered to the point where it's trying to be completely neutral but the thing is you want a whiskey base to not necessarily be neutral you want some of that grain flavor left because that's gonna mix with the wood and get you your end result um And so, yeah, I mean, flavoring vodka, if you just want it to taste like wood, yeah, drop a couple staves in it. Uh, The other thing is you can't, there's a couple things you can't fake. You cannot trick age, or sorry, you cannot trick time, and you cannot trick uh, volume. What I mean by that is like surface contact to charred wood and amount of time spent in said charred wood. Uh, There are very specific sciences related to why do we age in 50 gallon barrels, why is it charred this much, why do we age it this long. It's because it yields some of the best results. And uh, you can drop a wood stave into a bottle, you're still technically aging it, you're still technically, you know, uh transferring though those those lenins and and wood fibers and and all kinds of flavor marrying and all kinds of stuff but it might be harsher it might be not as mature it might it's not going to be the same because it didn't yeah. age as long and it didn't age in contact with that surface area for the right in the right mixture so yeah but interesting nonetheless yeah, it's
1: kind of fun. So there you have it.
0: A minute, okay? Buffalo okay. Trace's minutes. 8 millionth.
1: It uh, real quick. Can eight I can Carol. See what he's anything?
0: Nope, not right now. I'll come see you in about five minutes, okay? okay. All right. Minute, can I be in the video? Nope, not today. Uh-huh. Uh, Tomorrow? <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Okay.
1: Okay. They are time I you on tablet?
0: Nope. Because it's that time now. It's from yeah. I know.
1: We do have uh, one or two quick more stories to get to. Yes. But this one... Uh,
0: one, one big one that I do want to talk about because... Uh,
1: this one hit the studio pretty hard. This This one did. You know, we all of a sudden we couldn't make the voices in good faith anymore. Right. Uh, uh, which
0: so, probably happened far too often, honestly. It, but. <laughs> it really did. It was getting weird. Um, so Rhett and I are huge Rick and Morty fans. We, we were out watch a lot of Rick and Morty around the studio. We often quote the show. It's, there's some good lines. There's a lot of good one-liners. Um, and... Uh, there's been rumblings for the last couple of years about conduct of a particular individual uh who happens to be the voice of Rick and of Morty uh and, and of several others and half the other characters that appear in the shows um of of some some trouble some some personal trouble some slightly creepy behavior uh former co-stars of television shows being a little weirded out but nothing like Nothing as far as an accusation goes. Like, yeah, he's just a little weird. Uh, and you kind of hear those stories and you're like, eh, I don't know what to think about that. But sometimes comedians can be weird. Uh, it doesn't mean they're ill-intentioned. It doesn't mean they're they're necessarily bad people. And then it is revealed that Justin Roiland, co-creator and voice of Rick and Morty, uh. Is on the hook for two felony charges of domestic battery and false imprisonment and menacing uh, from a 2020 incident with a partner. And then some accusations started flying on top of that, like some inappropriate messaging to well underage females who made it very clear they were underage and then he would text them back in the morning go oh I was just drunk I was just kidding blah, 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 blah. and it's like Ooh. Uh, I i was just drunk you know uh, don't worry about this okay Ooh, yeah yeah too much uh too much too much <laughs> um so yeah for the last week or so it's been like I'd, I'd go to do a Rick joke and it's like oh I I feel dirty for doing that. <laughs> we literally joke now.
1: started, we literally started doing one on uh, a video last week, and
0: before you could the words s- even left,
1: uh, yeah, you watch, you watch this clip. <laughs> it's so funny in retrospect. Jeff goes to say the joke, doesn't say the joke, flashes through all the scenarios, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> I,
0: like, I I, I, I literally started to do an impression. I think I got two words yeah. out, and then I'm like, I'm gonna be canceled. Yeah. There yeah, it is, it was- like like it, because just i it. just wasn't thinking of like that whole situation at the time it was time, brand new it, it was, was brand new right we we had read about it like a couple hours before filming that episode and and all of a sudden i'm like oh this joke fits perfectly i'll just throw it in there and i'm like yeah Morty. it was oh i can't do that anymore <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um and it's funny you know like me personally i was wondering like man what are the rick and morty fans gonna do like wh- you know what they did to mcdonald's over the whole Szechuan sauce thing right what are they gonna do about this and to their credit i haven't They've seen been anybody really on cool twitter and mature about the whole situation like yeah i have that guy um yeah the first take the first hot take i saw from from like the sort of rick and morty twitter was like eh whatever drop them we have a show that can go on without him. <laughs> i was like
0: okay right good for them and, and that's exactly what the, uh adult swim is right. doing now you know? now some people are like well adult swim should have gotten out in front of this and it's like you have this mountain of evidence that appears literally over a weekend and yeah. you need to figure out contracts with these people now people say like well they should just do what's right the problem is contractually they can't unless it's in the contract that they can and lot, you also episodes, can't come out and make a, a lot statement. of jobs Right, there's a lot, there's hundreds of jobs and millions of dollars from a company and and everything else at stake. And I'm not saying that, like, the company shouldn't do what's right, but I'm saying is that the company has to be really careful because if they make a statement that goes against this contract, they can still be held legally liable for any malice or, or detriment to Justin Roiland's future career, if they say anything, against his contract. And... So they need to make sure that they have an out in the contract before they make any statements. And the reason for that is not only does Adult Swim, but everyone who works for them, who wasn't accused of two counts of felony, domestic battery, false imprisonment, malice, violence, fraud, or deceit, uh, is Now, now having to pay for.
1: Somebody in chat is saying, I wonder if it's fabricated to get away from the show, Miley Cyrus thing. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Like, I'm pretty sure the reason that Adult Swim severed ties today, which is why we're talking about this in the news today, is because it just came out that Adult Swim, yeah, we're cutting ties, but Rick and Morty is gonna go on. There's the tweet right there. Um, I'm pretty sure, and I think the the large consensus is, is that Justin Roiland is in court now. Right. Over these domestic battery charges. Mm -hmm from 2020 yeah, and that things might not be looking so good, which is why now Adult Swim is coming out with it. Not when right. it became clear that he was, a, ar- because wasn't he arrested and charged in 2020? He was and arrested this and charged in 2020.
0: This, yeah. The public knowledge of that did not happen until late last week. I want to say Thursday is when right. that knowledge kind of dropped. Right. Um, and, and then
1: there are other receipts of his other behavior started coming out, right. which is. Pretty typical of what happens right? because you wait until why, why would you risk putting something out there? That's going to make you have put a huge target on your back on social media without any sort of right. cultural uh, political uh, class
0: speaking without any references directly in front of me. I believe Allison Bree from community was one of the ones who stepped out and said, uh, uh yeah, he was really really creepy on set, made inappropriate comments and just in general made me feel uncomfortable. Nothing concrete, nothing That might have been about
1: Dan Harmon. Might have been course. about
0: Dan Harmon. I I can't remember. Um yeah. but uh but yeah, there there was one prominent actress who stepped forward recently within the last yeah. week and and kind of like doubled down on Oh yeah, no he's not a great dude um and
1: and of course all those texts kind of were released as well and it's like yeah yeah i don't know i i I think the timing of this adult swim thing says more about the legitimacy of the claims than anything else because like a big company that has that stands to lose um money is not going to act very rashly and maybe you say well in the age of these woke politics and all this sort of stuff maybe maybe you do and I think that's a valid case, but I, again, we, I think we've also got right now. the
0: James Gunn situation when a company did act rashly and, yeah. and it's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. This was a weird situation and there is an explanation. It wasn't a great situation, but it also wasn't like the worst thing in the world. And then they came back and rehired James Gunn, but the damage was kind of already done at that point.
1: It was. and It was. And so, and that's, yeah. I saw somebody going after like Bo Burnham the other day for like, well, he's never apologized for his offensive behavior, and then somebody put together he sang whole like a supercut. I know, I know, <laughs> but not only that, somebody put together like a supercut of him over the last ten years, being in interviews and on little things, talk show snippets, where he's like, "Oh yeah, no, I made a lot of offensive stuff, and and I guess I'm lucky that I'm in a position where I can leave it up for posterity and say." Look, that's what gross little white boys sing and do when they don't know any better. Right. And that stuff is wrong. And here's me trying to slowly get better and make better and do better. Right. And, and that's,
0: and then you, it culminates in a song and inside where he's literally apologizing. Right. And, Uh (laughs) and the other thing about Bo Burnham is he was never making directed, commentary about, like, go kill this this group of people, or go do this, or go do that. It was, he uses them as the butt of a joke, but then also redirects you in another direction right at the end of the punchline to say, like, yeah, I'm going to make this comparison because it's something you all need to be aware of. But, you know, if if you're calling the homosexuals F-words and, and you know, and and making light of N-word and everything, and he's done all of this, but he's also... Uh gosh, what is the I'm trying to remember the the name of the comedian.
1: Uh, uh Dave Chappelle. No, it was
0: uh, <laughs> who was the one we were watching lately that said you're not in trouble if it's funny enough? Oh, that was uh Steve Hofsetter. He goes, I I, oh, li- yeah. I lived in a house where the attitude was, you won't be in trouble if it's funny enough. And so you can say whatever you want, and as long as we laugh, you're not gonna be in trouble. Um and uh, and he's got a couple of great ones and he gives a couple examples from his brothers and whatnot and that's the slippery slope when it comes to I'm gonna wrap this back to to Justin Roiland with comedians yeah. is Dan Harmon was kind of held up to this uh, you know Twitter reading ten later ten years later like comedian known for offensive jokes said something offensive on Twitter twelve years ago in which the context has been lost. Yeah, reading that in hindsight, it seems rather misogynistic or rather, you know, homophobic or whatever the case would have been 12 years ago. In the moment, it might have been a funny joke. And there's also, I I don't want to say like you can get away with what the culture is at the time, but... If if well, I yeah, were to make some of the jokes part, that yeah. I made at 14 years old here on my channel, I would be absolutely ripped off yeah. the air. Uh no question, no, no trial, just gone. And and very similar to Bo Burnham, I feel I've grown substantially as as a person in my understanding of people, in the world, in what we all live in. And, and I'm thankful enough to have not been in the public eye when I was ignorant to some of the things that plague people around the planet and, and some of the, the stereotypes and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it's a tight rope. And I
1: think that there is a, a level of like, well, you know, things were different back then. And You can make that case as long as as long as you can see the good faith effort to continue growing and right like, uh changing with the times and adjusting to the you know altered standards like you know that's the big thing with uh some comics that we have seen lately um you know they refuse to accept that what was funny in 2001 is no longer like the baseline mm-hmm. you know the standard right um We've all evolved, you know. Like, yeah, it, it, we talked about this, I think, last time I was on the show. If not, we talked about it in the studio about how, uh, um, like how the X Files flourished in a very specific time and place on TV, it couldn't survive after 9 11. So, it's right. not just jokes and comedians, it's right. also the TV shows we watch, the music that we listen to, the books that we it's, read.
0: It's the Willingness of the public to see said materials of, yeah. of things, because, uh yeah, prior to the year 2000, every single summer blockbuster was about literally the end of the world.
1: It, it <laughs> yeah. was, it was Armageddon, Armageddon, it was Independence deep Day, impact. it was Deep
0: Impact, it volcano. was Volcano, Volcano. you know, it, it was the world is literally peak. exploding around us, or aliens are invading and threatening the destruction yeah. of humanity as we know it. And... What did we get 2002? It certainly wasn't Constantine. That. Right. Yeah, we, we got more fantasy and then, you know, we went Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and and, you know, those were the summer blockbusters for a very long time. Well, let's see. You also got uh Collateral, you know? Oh yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, Tom Cruise. Yeah, we Jimmy went Fox. we went
0: away from from Man versus uh End of the like- World and God yeah. and cataclysm into man versus man. If, yeah, if, there a if big, you want to quote literary shift. learnings, you know, your, 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 yeah, yeah. your seven antagonists circle.
1: Yeah, you're 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 uh, the hero of many faces.
0: That's you're, right. J- That's you're Joseph I Campbell. I not pay attention in middle school.
1: Yeah, you're Joseph Campbell, the monomyth.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway. We do have one more quick story. We'll touch base on this so that Jeff can go and spend time with his kids. Yep. Uh, Press F to pay respects. Pour one out. Uh, I cried all night, says one player of the hit World of Warcraft, uh, because Blizzard is forced to shut down servers in China. Because they uh, they couldn't come to a licensing agreement with their local providers, NetEase. They were forced to suspend games um, and shut down servers. So they are seeking alternative licensing agreements from the sounds of it. Um, But until then, they have essentially, it sounded like they assured all players in China that don't worry, your profiles, your characters, all of these things are going to be saved. So that if ever we can turn these things do we on. look like,
0: Activision? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's kind of wild to me that like... Just that was millions... a better joke
0: than you even gave me credit for. It was really
1: good. Thank it you. was really good. But I'm trying not to get bogged down, Jeff. I promised 40 minutes ago I wouldn't bog us down yes. anymore. Uh, <laughs> here we are. So but anyway...
0: Yeah. World Just, of Warcraft goes dark in China. Uh, your data is in suspension should they ever find yeah. a service to be able to light the servers back up again. But uh, yeah, a lot of Chinese players are, are kind of... SOL. SOL at the moment. And uh, We're
1: talking about 20 years of continuous right. upkeep uh just gone yeah <laughs> so i think that's insane to me in this modern world but what are you gonna do i mean this is a whole level of like international business that i will probably never aspire to so mm-hmm. uh i i don't think i'll ever be as big as blizzard so <laughs> who knows yeah anyway so, sorry guys yep. sorry wow fans sorry wow China. fans
0: yep <sighs> Even WoW fans in the U.S., I think the end is probably near.
1: I hope it is. Um, I hope it is. I have my own WoW stories, but we'll save that for next time.
0: I logged into WoW twice. Ever. Um, (laughs) It never got its claws into me. Uh, So... I I tried, I want to say circa around 2003, but we had dial-up and I had an absolutely terrible connection. I played for like 20 minutes and then logged out. Um, I then tried again in 2008. Would have been 2008. Um, and I just uh, moved into a place, uh, had had broadband and, and everything else and and finally built myself a good computer and I'm like, I want to play WoW. A couple of my friends are really into it. I want to get on there. Um, I logged into a server and uh, it was literally worse than when I had dial-up. Now I had 50 meg down and five meg up. It wasn't a bad connection, but I got on there and I was getting like a frame and a half per second. and And I couldn't move and I couldn't, Barely do anything. Oh man! It it put me in a public spawning area, and then like I I walked around for like a minute, going maybe I'll just get better, and then it never got better. And then I logged out, and I never logged in again.
1: That was See, it. See, I think World of Warcraft <laughs> came out when I was in eighth grade, and my brother was playing it for a while. He left for Christmas break, and he said I was visiting Warcraft. Uh, my mom's
0: three came out was and I was in high school. <laughs>
1: Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Sorry, bro. You're only a handful of years older than right, me, but by that's the way. an entire so,
0: generation of a console. By,
1: the difference
0: between eighth grade and high school is. Rhett's like months. I grew up playing Super Mario All Stars. I understand <laughs> your ways.
1: I grew up playing Super Mario Bros. Three, like everybody else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um but it came out i was in eighth grade my brother left so i had access to his computer and wow for two weeks unmitigated and i logged in almost 200 hours in that time i logged in once and because i didn't know my brother's password i never logged out and i played almost every waking moment that i could and i never played it since <laughs> Yep. Yeah. The power of MMOs.
0: Yep.
1: Um yeah.
0: Then other games came out and <laughs> occupied my time. So yep. there you go. As they often do. All right. This has been episode 269 of Talking Heads. Make sure to hit that nice. thumbs up button. Nice. Subscribe to Craft Computing <laughs> if you haven't done so already. Follow me on Mastodon at craft computing at hostux.social. Uh you can find Rhett. At red is awesome. At what's your server? Do you remember?
1: It's in the description. I, I think okay. I'm Mastodon.social.
0: I think it's Mastodon.social. Yeah, I think you're on the main server. Um, but uh yeah, Mastodon.social. Uh join us every Wednesday night at six p.m. Pacific time for the latest in beer and tech news, or if you just want to catch clips of this show, subscribe to Craft Extra. Link is also down in the video description. Yes,
1: They're definitely there. Yes.
0: What Red does on Thursdays.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you all so much for watching. And as always, we'll see you next week.
1: Cheers, everyone. Bye. Cheers, all. Take care.